Welcome to the DLR Library Podcast, Need to Read. Recommended reads from those in the know. Hello, my name is Hayley and I work in DLR Libraries. And today I'm um, very happy to welcome Louisa from Raven Books. Hello. Hi, Louisa. How are you? Good. Um, Louisa, you've been working in Raven Books for, is it, Around over 10 years now? It is over 10 years. I started in 2008. We right. opened in May of 2008 and after three years moved from our very small location um, on Carysville Avenue up to our current location on Main Street in Black Rock, a much bigger shop. Um, so yeah, I've been there since the Maybank holiday of 2011. Great. And so you do you do new books and also you do have a second hand. Yes, the majority of our stock is second hand. And then we do, depending on time of year, in around 20% of new books. So we can have whatever the latest book the book clubs are doing or new yeah. releases, which is great. It's a really nice combination. Very important to support authors and publishers and illustrators with new books. Um, but the second hand has both an environmental kind of recycling uh, element to it. Plus, um, it's obviously much easier for people who are maybe a little bit hard up to you know, pay four euro for a book. But obviously with libraries, they get them for free. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very, it's a great bookshop. I'm often in there, as you know. And, yes, indeed. And we're often bumping into my friends and colleagues <laughs> in there at the same time as well. Um, just uh, also, your window display is, is great. Like I always see people stopping and, and looking at that. Um, do you how yes. do you how do you choose what you put in the window, and do you seem to change it really regularly as well? We change it very regularly, and part of that is practical because we get full sun. Um, and books do not like sun. Okay. Um, in the height of a very hot summer day, within maybe ten minutes, they will start reacting to the heat and the brightness and start curling and colouring. So it is actually a very good discipline to have yeah. the window changed on a very regular basis. But we're really lucky to have a big um, window um, so we can show either the latest stuff or some unusual secondhand stuff we get in. Um, we have some little plants growing as well to bring a bit of greenery into it. Um, so I'm just going to maybe get into the topic that we're going to discuss yes. today. Um, so it's reading habits for 2020. Um, you mentioned to me, and this is where the idea came from, that you track your reading. Yes, I do. Um, I wrote, uh, I read a lovely quote online, actually, um, which I thought I'd maybe start with. It's um, a literary critic in Britain. His name is Professor Robert Eaglestone. And he says, um, literature is a living conversation across time and space with the author and ourselves, but also with other people who have read and discussed the work and all the people who will. And because others are continually joining this conversation, it can never reach a conclusion and it remains open-ended. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so I saw on Twitter as well that you said you, you track your reading partly out of curiosity and partly because paying attention to what you're reading um, you feel makes you a better reader. Yes. Um, so maybe you'd talk a little bit about that and how maybe tracking what you read makes you more aware or think differently about what you should read? Absolutely. I can't remember, to be honest, exactly when it started. Um, it was before 2014, because that's when I started my beautiful spreadsheet. Um, but I, before that, I'd signed up to librarything.com, um, which would be similar to Goodreads, except that it is not owned by Evil Amazon. Um, and it's a lovely uh, reading community on there, which you can engage with or not, as you wish, um, similar to your quote that you read there, um, one of the things I think is wonderful about books is even though it is essentially a solitary pursuit, it is a cultural experience you can share with so many people at the same time. Um, so 
why I started the spreadsheet is lost in the midst of time. I suspect being 2014, I think that is when the Read Women um, Twitter account started. Um, we're relatively active on Twitter. There's a lovely book community there. So I'm guessing it may have been curiosity to see what percentage of female authors I was reading. Um, so I have it broken down into a couple of categories. Um, I, for many years, probably, goodness, seven, eight years, I facilitated junior book clubs. So I read quite a lot of kids' fiction. So I have it divided into fiction, nonfiction, and kids' young adult. I have it by gender, so male or female. And sometimes there's a mix if, for example, it is um, a collection of short stories that may be male and female, or if it is somebody who is non-binary or considers themselves both, then I kind of adjust as I feel is most appropriate. It's, God knows, not particularly scientific. Um, I then do it by region. I read a lot of uh, North American authors, so that is one category. Um, Irish authors, other English-speaking um, there was a year I read a lot of Australian fiction, which was amazing. And then in translation, which is a big thing for me. I've participated in the August Women in Translation Month since that started. And there's a lot of fun. And I, not just in August, but I read a lot of translated fiction throughout the year. Um, and then I also have a column um, in inverted commas, uh, as this is not a visual medium, um, for diverse authors. Okay. Now, that is very subjective. I'm white, and I know so much goes into identity as to whether you consider yourself a person of colour or not. Um, I, to the best ability I can, put in if somebody considers themselves to be a writer, a diverse writer, a writer of colour. Um, and that is an absolute best guess. But it's really important so for me. Yeah, I mean, some, sometimes it's blatantly way. obvious, and then sometimes it is less so. And, you know, maybe do a bit of research on them as to how they perceive themselves, because that's obviously the, the fundamental thing. Um, but that's important for me to pay attention that I'm not just reading white authors and that I'm expanding my own experience. Um, obviously, the vast majority of the world is not white, so that's important in for me, I mean, people read for very different reasons, but for my reading, I want to expand my understanding, and that includes a lot more than just white authors. Um, and I still do read a lot of white authors. The majority of what I read would come under that, that label. Um, but it just means that at the end of the year, I can, um, you know, do a tally and just see. And it's always interesting. My first criteria is always it has to be a good book. There are so many good books, more than anybody could ever read in their entire lifetime. So it's a matter of discerning which good books I'm going to read and how I'm going to spend my time, how I'm going to invest my time, what I want going into my brain um, is important. And then also who to support. Um, I mentioned before supporting authors, and I think it's something we can just be more aware of, even small presses, which thankfully are, seem to be having a little bit of a, a heyday at the moment, which is superb. Um, finding those interesting and unusual stories um, that just because they don't have a big budget doesn't mean they're not equally good. Um, so sometimes I, I don't listen to the noise of the big publishers. And it's one of the things I love about Twitter is it's so democratizing, is through Twitter I get to find out about small presses and what they're publishing, some of the amazing projects, like um, Blue Moose are only publishing women this year, for example. Um, and the authors that publish or that are published by them, um, you get to hear their voices just as loudly as the big, like Penguin Random House um, type, the big seven, I think they're called, um, the main publishing houses who have big budgets and 
their books aren't necessarily any better than the smaller presses, but obviously are more visible. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's really important that you do that as well because, I mean, obviously we're both in the book industry um, and we kind of have to and want to read widely, but for people who maybe come into your shop and, and the library who don't know where to start really, yes. and it's very important that we are able to recommend outside of our own experience and our, our own echo chamber and, yes. and that we are understanding all different viewpoints and human stories from across yes. the world. Um, oh, for sure. So that, yeah, so we're not just recommending the same things. Um, exactly, exactly. And it also means that even if you, I mean, as I said, you can't read all of the books, but if you're aware of what's out there and you have an idea of what a story might contain or a potential audience for a particular book, even if it's not your cup of tea. I mean, that's one of, to my mind, one of the things about a good recommender, whether that's a librarian or um, a bookseller, or even a dear friend, is to step out of your own shoes, to step out of what you like and not project that and listen to what the reader wants to read. And sometimes they don't even know themselves. Um, and that can be a little bit hit and miss sometimes. Um, and sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you're like, I'm just in the mood for a good book and I don't know exactly what that is and you don't know until you start it. But to have a good knowledge... So take a big genre like crime, for example, which I read a very, very small bit of espionage. But I would have an idea of, say, which are the more gruesome ones, maybe some of the Scandi noir ones, the books in translation, um, those that are kind of the, you know, murder in the library, not this library, obviously. Um, <laughs> so even though I don't read it, it's that sense of knowledge. And again, going back to the sense of small presses as well, some of the slightly more unusual crime books that I know uh, certain readers will want, whereas others will just want essentially... I'm not going to say the same story over and over, but something safe, something comforting to read. That actually it brings me to another quote I have <laughs> here. Um, I think it was uh, an author called Lauren Bucus. Um, yes. So she said something, I don't actually have it here, but she, uh, something along the lines of, um, we should be promiscuous with, in our reading habits. Oh, yes. And take any book um, you want to bed as long as that book is good in bed and we should not pigeonhole <laughs> books to certain categories because then you might miss out so Absolutely. I've always thought I was only into non-fiction and um or literary fiction but I, I'm reading a lot more widely now and fiction and um crime actually I'm reading okay the dry um yes yeah yes moment, it's Australian it's set in the Australian outback um and it's it's really nice because you just it just it's a complete escapism as well and that's totally fine that's one of the things mm. that you know, I sometimes get people into the shop that feel almost guilty because they're like, oh, I never read fiction. I'm like, that's okay. Like, read what you want to read. And I've noticed that myself since, as I say, I've been tracking on the spreadsheet since 2014. So we have five years of data. And my nonfiction is increasing exponentially. And that is something I've noticed anecdotally with customers in the shop is the older they get, the more nonfiction they read for whatever reason. Life just seems like we're running out of time and there's just so much <laughs> yes. to learn. And, and I know. you just have to read it. And like, it feels like... There's an urgency. Too indulgent to read yes. fiction or something, but yes. it shouldn't be that way because there Absolutely is no urgency, not. really. <laughs> and one of the best things about fiction, and I think this is what good fiction fundamentally does, is it means you hold up a mirror to yourself. Um, and sometimes you don't always like what looks back. Um, but I, I guess there's something in nonfiction that's at times in your life maybe easier to read. 
Um, and it depends. I mean, people go through periods of life where they're, you know, say you're a mother who's just given birth and chemically you don't have that concentration that is scientifically proved. Um, whereas like, so maybe you'll start reading like short stories or, um, you know, if you're grieving, your concentration goes. So there are different things that everybody goes through in their life. And it's okay to shift your reading accordingly and not to feel ashamed or you know, irritated by that and just be patient with yourself and pick up what you want to read. Now, I always say this, people have this idea sometimes about what they should read. Yeah. Um, I was like, no, read what you want to read, as I do. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to read good books. You have to have something that's going to engage you, that's going to pull you in. Um, and then within that broad criteria, uh, within that then discern what, uh, what authors you're going to go for, what books you're going to read, what stories you're going to um, ingest. So if you wanted, if we were making a plan of how many you might read yes. for the year, um, there has been uh, this company called Pew Research in yes. the States. They they averaged out that people no, people read about twelve books a year, but okay. they would be sort of avid readers maybe. So the real average is probably four. So I think that's we can do better than four. We can people. definitely do better than four. <laughs> and but again, it's a case of stopping to think about you know why you're reading. Yeah. Um, what you are getting out of it now and what you want to get out of it. Yeah. Um, so that it's not just a, a mindless activity. And maybe maybe you do, maybe you literally just want to put yourself to sleep at night and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. that's fine if, th- if that is literally all that you want to get out of it. But just to stop and think and just curate your reading maybe a little bit more carefully. Because if um, you are only going to read four, what are those four going to oh, be? Oh, I know, you know, I know. There's so, so many books. I think the pressure is greater the fewer books you read. But obviously, uh, if you have kids or really busy job, it can be yes. really hard. So um, what, what sort of tips, do you have any tips for like how people could read more if they're really busy? Or do you have to give oh, up yeah. something else that you like? You're always saying no to something. And you have to choose what you're saying no to. And maybe that is spending an hour on Twitter. The one thing I would absolutely recommend is if you can develop a habit um, so that you're maybe reading at the same time every day for a certain period every day. Um, some people, myself included, unfortunately often need an excuse to read. So book clubs can be handy for that because you have to get the book read. Um, but equally, sometimes it works if you do have a quota. It's like, no, I have to get a book read by the end of the week. And sometimes that's really helpful. Um, I think it's unfortunate that very often we do need to justify a pleasurable activity like that. I suppose um, our, attention, our attention spans are so short these days. They're so short. The other thing I would absolutely recommend is like both turn your phone off and put it like upstairs or downstairs, depending on where you're reading. Like literally don't even have it near you because that will, um, and it has been scientifically proven, there will always be part of your brain focused on your phone, which is just so horrendous. You, it's like you can see it. You can x-ray vision, just, see it yes. in your bag or your pocket of your coat. Just waiting for that ping. So turn it off, put it away. Um, make sure that time is really dedicated. Um, there is an alleged sleep expert who says you should not read before bed. I can oh, really? completely disagree with that. Um, I find reading even a page or two absolutely helps me fall asleep. Yeah. Um, in, fa- in fact, to the point that Sometimes in the evening, if I'm reading on the sofa, I'll be asleep within 20 minutes. So that's slightly mortifying. Yeah. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about how you actually do the spreadsheet and, sure. and how you maybe plan for the year ahead. 
I don't plan. Okay. <laughs> Reading okay. is the pretty end spontaneous. The, <laughs> the, only, the only thing I do plan for is I choose the books for the Raven Book Club. Okay. So that is the one I do actually try and think ahead a little bit and obviously take in the reading tastes of others. Um, we often do slightly older books. We do some books in translation. Um, I do some current books, but I'm always conscious of cost as well. Uh, some of the new ones can be quite expensive. Um, but yeah, this is the thing with having a secondhand bookshop is you get in like gems that are decades old and still amazing books and they're new to me or books that I've maybe wanted to read for ages and it just kind of comes across and I'll make the mistake of reading a page and then I'll be like, oh yeah, need to bring that one home with me. So there are certain authors that I love and I know I'm so excited for the new one coming out um, and that I will absolutely go for new books. But by no stretch of the imagination will I only read new books because I know I can use that knowledge to sell um, in the shop. That doesn't interest me at all. Um, be so the, the same in the library. So we're, yes. we're and we've talked about this before. Um, we're not in the business of bestsellers. No. Really, we're, we're we're just new books. We, we're always trying to rotate our stock and yes. recommend stuff that's been there for a long time that's maybe sitting there and no no one has picked up for a while and maybe they came in not expecting to read it and they leave with it so it's, yes. really, it's really nice when that happens it is and you look at say, the, the success of a book like stoner a couple of years back that was decades old and it was only because somebody mentioned it or just before christmas on can't even remember which radio show it was as i didn't hear it but in one day we had like four customers coming in looking for a book that was published in the 1950s because it had got a stellar review on the radio and i love that it was one actually we had done for book club a number of years back and it's superb and reads like it was written yesterday. And would you record what, after you've read it, would you give your write down comments on it or anything like that? I don't generally. Um, I pretty much just do break it down into um, the categories I described. Um, and it's all color-coded, of course, because yeah. if why well, have a spreadsheet if you can't color-code it? So I will do... We might actually share that. If that's absolutely, okay. you're, you're would be delighted. In fact, I have sent it to... Cause, because I, this is something that comes up in conversation with customers, and I have sent the template to customers who have been very grateful. And people will track them in different ways. Um, Mary Inderbray Books in Dunleary has was given a notebook when she was, if memory serves, like 11 or 12, to write down the books that she was reading. Um, and that was a few decades ago, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, and she has kept track in a little notebook with, I think it, she just does the date, I'm not sure if it started or finished, and the title. And she has all of these notebooks over the decades of everything she has read, which is absolutely amazing. I, I love it so much. I often forget if I've read something, and I might read it again and go, yes. Familiar. But I think the idea... Um, the act of writing it down will help you re recall it Definitely. when you're talking to someone because it's what we all want to do. We all like to recommend books yes. to family and friends. Um, and I think I run the, the film club here and in the process of researching and planning the films and um, talking about them, I've just learned so much Yes. Uh, as, a, as opposed to just maybe when I'm randomly watching things at home. So making that effort to to curate my own what film watching just being a bit more conscious about it is, absolutely yeah it I think makes it's a similar difference because um, I went back through the last few years recently um, there was an interesting uh, Twitter thread from the author um, Ronan Hessian about short novels under 200 pages um, which I'm a big fan of as well so I went back through good for your handbag <laughs> <laughs> exactly went back through my reading 
um, on the spreadsheet for the last few years and already, and this is only, you know, maybe in five years, I'm like, I can't remember what that book is. You see the title. And then the minute I see the image, it comes back immediately. Um, but I really like being able to do that. Even if by the end of the year, um, by December, it's hard, sometimes hard for me to remember what I've read in January. So it is a really nice kind of refresh um, to see what, what you've been reading, yeah. um, which and is really good. to take control. Like, yes. You know, with Netflix, you sit down, and I know they have their algorithms, but they just sort of randomly throw things at you. So yes, I think they do. the idea that you might plan for the year is, is, is really... I think it's a good idea. Maybe some, a lot of people might want to try that this year um, in their resolutions. And some people do like big projects. We had um, we have an amazing um, reader who planned over a number of years to read books that were written by authors who had come of age during World War One. So very specific criteria, and from all the different countries involved, which was amazing. One hadn't even been translated into English, and he read it through Polish and Google Translate, which is a level I'm not at, to be honest. But that was his dedication over a number of years, and that was what he gets out of his reading. Um, so I think one of the things that has really worked for me in tracking my reading is figuring out what it is, what are the books that I remember that stay with me, that trigger, and to see what they have in common. Um, and one of the things I've noticed about my own reading is it's books where either the author or the characters are caught between cultures. And it's that dynamic that seems, for whatever reason, to resonate with me. And it's so individual. It's so personal. And I love that about reading. Um, you know, two people will like a book for very different reasons um, or will like and loathe it um, equally if it's exactly the same book. So I think intellectualizing what it is that you take out of books Again, it's that sense of self-reflection and you get to know yourself better and what stories are appealing to you and maybe figuring out why that is. I suppose, yeah, like you said, you see yourself in them sometimes. Yes. And, um, do you ever sort of, you can see where, where authors are inspired maybe and that kind of leads you off on another path. You can see what yes. books um, inspired that book. Um, so would that be an influence on how you choose books as well? Less so. We've had that recently with, in fact, even just this morning, with Dr. Zhivago, um, as a novel came out recently. And it is fictionalised, but based on the historical fact of how Dr. Zhivago was published. And because of that book, then people are going back to Dr. Zhivago, which is really interesting to see. Um, and I'm kind of curious to see how, how it stands up after all this time as well. Um, I do, to a degree, have that kind of knock-on effect, but less so, I think, because, you know, I only get to read so many books in the year, and there's always so much that's just grabbing my attention. Um, so I, it, it's not that planned. If, why should someone aim to read more books, you know? It depends on what you want to do, and if you're looking for quality or quantity. Of course, the size of a book varies hugely. Um, and if you are trying to read more, um, I do recommend maybe not, you know, starting a War and Peace size book um, or, you know, Ducks New Report, uh, the, the recent um, Booker shortlisted title that was over a thousand pages. Don't start there. Mm -hmm. um, start with small books. Uh, we have at the moment a wonderful display on the back of a Twitter thread um, from the Irish writer Ronan Hessian, who um, was praising books of 200 pages or less. Uh, which I have read a lot of myself. I love, love short books or even short story collections. Um, 
And out of that, we have a beautiful display of all of these books. And there is a surprising number when you put them all together. These little gems, because in 200 pages, you can get like a full story, an amazing character arc. And then you have that sense of completion. You've read an entire story. And it's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's probably what puts a lot of people off. They plan to read a lot of books. They want to read a lot of books. Yes. And then they're maybe struggling with a, a big one and, and they just, they can't start anything else and they put it down for a while and they think, keep thinking they'll go back to it. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe don't reach their target of how many books they want to read. Yes, so the, true. With, um, with the 200 pages, it's really a good way to start. I actually have some <laughs> little stats here. So just simple maths. So just say you wanted to read 24 books in one year. Yes. Um, well, that's two a month. Now, we're, we're obviously, this is, we'll be starting this in February if people want to make a plan. So just say you aim for, uh, yeah, I think two books a month is probably doable. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, so that's, the average book is about... Say 300, 300 pages, pages, probably, 350. Yeah, so about 22 or so pages a day, depending on your, your um, reading speed, obviously. So if you did 30 minutes a day, yeah, I think, and... With just say you were to do that and you wanted to maybe do some of the classics, so we have um, just say Virginia Woolf, The Lighthouse. That's I think a lot of people probably have that in their must read pile. That's 69,000 words, so about nearly four hours to read if you were doing it on that kind of method. So, and it but it depends as well on the writing style, like yeah. that is a book that you're not going to fly through. And you want to, yeah. You yeah, want to you need to stop it. and think about that. Yeah. Whereas if you're reading yeah. like, you know, page turner thriller, you're going to absolutely fly through it. Yeah. So it depends very much on what you want to read. And I think, I think it can be tricky just picking a number yeah. because it does depend so much on yeah. the size of the book, on the writing style. Yeah. Um, in particular, yeah. say for nonfiction, yeah. very often you want to kind of stop and think about what you've read. Whereas if it's a story, you just can't get through it fast enough. You're dying to know what happens next. So it depends very much yeah. on. But maybe just even numbers. as a as a ballpark, absolutely to get you going. Yes, and to, for sure. And um, I mean, you could start with. Um, a room of one's own or something. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Start small. Yeah, but I like what you said about the sense of completion. When you do finish it, it feels... Oh, it makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, we see this even with children who are learning to read. Um, and there are a number of different series, say the fairy books, um, the Daisy Meadow fairy books, or the Daisy Meadows fairy books, or um, the Beast Quest. In and of themselves, they're not great books. They really aren't. And they're all pretty much the same. But they're so important in the psychology of children thinking, I read a book, or I read 10 books, or I read, God knows at this point, it must be 100 books, because there yeah. are a lot of them. And I think even with adults, we never necessarily lose that of just that sense of completion. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things, say in particular with crime, um, crime novels often do well when a country's going through hardship. I noticed this with the recession, because there is some kind of logic put on whatever bad thing has happened and again it's that sense of completion of um of having sense put on a situation so if you want to read more having that psychology of I have I can see I have finished this book and in particular I'm, I absolutely believe people should have the books they have read on their shelf so they can see even if you don't hold on to them forever but just even for a whole year hold on to them when I was doing the junior book clubs the end of our year and um, the end of the school year I would always bring in 
the stack of all the books we had read. And it was wonderful just to see the expressions on their faces of going through because you have that visual familiarity of the covers. I was like, oh my goodness, we read all these books. And when you see them in that stack, it's really the sense of, wow, we got through all that. Yeah, and you deserve to display Yes, them exactly. And, and they, and they deserve to be displayed. <laughs> Unless you hate the book, of course, and then get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, it, it's from... I think when people come to your house, you want to show them the if yes. you're into books. You kind of yes. want to show them the books that you've read and maybe lend them to... Some people don't like to lend books at all. <laughs> it depends on the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could you suggest some 200-page books? To, uh, oh, goodness, have we, have so, we have so many. Um, and again, it will depend very much on the genre and what, uh, what you enjoy reading. Um, we have a lot of fiction in translation. Um, I just finished a book um, in translation last night called... Snow Dog Foot, which is, I can't remember the exact page count, but it's, I think, barely over 100 pages. And there was so much in a story. It was very dark. It was very humorous. It was very sad. It was poignant. It was a first translation for the translator. It was superbly well written. It's from Perrine Press. Um, so there's an example of, of just one off the top of my head that I read um, just very, very recently. Uh, but there's an awful lot uh, of books mm-hmm. Um, we have, as I say, a ho- I did a Twitter thread myself listing probably two or three dozen different titles. Um, and of course, my mind is going completely blank now as That's to okay. a single one of them. Um, <laughs> but maybe we can put a list up yeah, on the website. That would be great. Yes. So what would be like a, f- uh, what would be a first question you'd ask someone that if they came in, they didn't know what they wanted to read. Would you say, what, like, what is the last book you loved or what, what kind of... The first question, if they literally come in with an absolute blank slate, is fiction or nonfiction? And sometimes people don't even have it narrowed down to that, which is tricky because um, booksellers and librarians are not psychic. It's a fatal flaw. Um, so it's really you helpful. Get, can you recommend a good book? <laughs> yeah, just a good book, that's it. <laughs> um, so fiction or nonfiction to start off with. And then you kind of narrow it down. It's that sense of just honing in on what people want. So say it's fiction. Um, you then get a sense of, first of all, I generally do kind of genre if they want general kind of crime, bit of romance, historical, just to kind of narrow it down a little bit more. And then I ask for the last three that they really enjoyed. Um, I kind of take the... the That's why tracking is so important. Yes, I, it is. I, exactly. Because you don't necessarily remember. remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of take the Goldilocks approach of giving three different options. And generally speaking, one of those, and sometimes more. Sometimes people will just say, yeah, I'll take all three. Um, which unnerves me slightly because I, I always have in my mind the one that I think they probably will like the most. Um, but that's okay. And I always recommend reading a page as well because sometimes the writing style, doesn't matter about the story, but the writing so style can put you it. off. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's good at the very least to maybe read the blurb on the back, um, which is a bit of a litmus test. Some people never, ever read the blurb on the back and some people always do we had a massive well I will say discussion it was almost an argument in our book club about whether you should or shouldn't read the blurb on the back first which is very very interesting um and you see sides of people you didn't know existed before I I usually do but sometimes I just like the cover I do actually go for the Um, cover and I I feel like yes um, makes a difference what is the is it there's a book um let me see this is (laughs) Daniel something and it's you were never really here or something it's like a triangle on the cover and he, I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> 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 um, and, and it's like like a really trippy, other dimension kind of story where he's, 
he's losing his mind and he's, his wife disappeared and he's trapped in this house and every time he leaves the house he gets wakes he comes back straight into the house again oh. it's really trippy anyway, I think what that it's is it's really good but I, I just picked it up because the cover it looked interesting anyway so also there is the idea of rereading so yes yeah, like you might have loved a book when you were young and and you might it might means so much more now that you're older and yeah rereading in my experience can be a mixed bag um I rarely do it though as it happens I accidentally picked up a book that I had read um a number of years back um Michael Cunningham's uh, A Wild Swan picked it up in the shop and made the mistake of reading a page and I was like oh I'm gonna have to reread this mm-hmm. um it's a series of short stories um uh, his take on the old fairy tales absolutely superb and so I said I'll just read this one story and ended up reading every single one of them Uh, and it was a complete joy and it was almost better than the first time other books that I would have read maybe a couple of decades ago the book is the same I'm a very different person hasn't worked out quite so well so I had a customer once say that there was a book she had read and maybe in her 20s um, and the book over its course charts a woman's life kind of every decade as she ages and she reads that book every decade to see how her understanding of those characters shifts and changes as she ages with the character and I love that idea I have another friend who reads Canticle for Leibowitz about once a year that's just his thing and he loves it so I think it depends very much on you and on the book sometimes it works really well other times other times your understanding of what is and isn't okay can change. And I think this is almost more true with movies sometimes than books in how they do or don't age well um, yeah. with regard to things like its treatment of women as a random example. And, you know, if you read a book 20 years ago, what might have not even raised a red flag back then, today we'd be like, oh my goodness, that's not okay. So that's always a really interesting form of witnessing your own growth as a person uh, when you see that yes even the 90s films like oh god absolutely like how is this okay (laughs) yes um i yeah with myself i for years i always used to say my favorite books were when this is when i was younger steppenwolf by herman hess and the the unbearable lightness of being i read them both when i was a teenager yes and I don't think I, I fully understood what was happening. Yeah. Hadn't had that many relationships. Definitely not serious. So I think they're ones I, I really need to revisit. Because I, I yes. have a magical feeling when I think about the books because I love the atmosphere. Yes. But I didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> and, and that, again, can work if the protagonist is a child and you read it as even a teenager. Yeah. Um, I read an article with a woman who had read um, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn as a kid. Um, or as a teenager and one of the characters is the mother and she didn't at the time really even pay I think that much attention to a mother but reread it when she was a mother and it was a completely different book for her mm-hmm. she had such a completely different understanding of it yeah, um, so yeah so it is interesting and sometimes I, as you say you don't necessarily want to go back and reread because you have this kind of glow of a book of what it meant to you then and sometimes that's enough so thank you Louisa they're, they're great tips and um, a pleasure I think we both agree that we love recommending books yes, to people. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, definitely. Um, so I, would you encourage people to come in maybe and ask For you? sure, absolutely. I mean, librarians and in particular independent booksellers love to talk to people about books. Clearly, this is our passion. This is what we do. It's a vocation. Um, so don't be shy, no matter what your reading taste is. Unfortunately, I think in particular independent bookshops can have a little bit of an aura 
um, often misplaced of kind of literary snobbishness. Not like that at all. Like, do feel free absolutely to come in, talk to us. We're all lovely people. Um, and would love to make recommendations to get you reading. Yeah, that's, and I think the same goes for the library. We, we, we get those questions a lot, and you often see people wandering around looking a yes. little lost, and I'm, I'm kind of almost tempted to go over. And say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we love it. Yes, we do, us. we do, yes. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome, it's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.